Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Gonna throw it. Slam. This bugs for you, Mizzou. This is the Mazzotcast. Howdy, Tiger fans. Welcome to the Mazzotcast. I'm your host, Brendan Anthony. Joining me, as always, is a longtime brother, Colin Anthony. What's up, dum-dums? Well, Colin, we are uh, here to celebrate, I guess, a huge Missouri victory over the weekend over North Texas, 48-35. to 35. Awesome. You <laughs> beat North Texas. Well, it begs the question, how much do you have to beat North Texas by before it feels like a win? Yeah, well, at 35 to 48, we, we, you know, obviously we let them score too many points. I think I had read maybe they'd scored 27. Does that sound right? 27 total points in all their games up until now or something like that. And they scored 35 against us. Um, Most of those were in the second half. Yeah. Even though Mizzou ended up having a, you know, basically a dominating victory, it's still, there were still plenty of things in this game would give people you know, legitimate reason for concern. It was a game of two halves, really. I think the Missouri team, both offensively and defensively, that played in the first half was a team that gave us some reassurance that maybe we can write this thing and maybe the firing of Jeff Rose Franklin and the benching of Blaze Aldridge is having an impact on this team. But by the second half, everything fell apart. The offense went stale. The defense gave up, I think, 28 of those 35 points. And frankly, I don't think a 48 to 35 game is a beatdown. That's a 13 point win. But I mean, good yeah. Lord, it's a shootout, essentially. That's a lot of points. Well, there's a lot of reasons to be discouraged for sure. But I mean, if, if you're looking for upsides, I think uh, Chad Bailey taking Blaze Aldridge's snaps, Bailey looked better. I mean, he didn't look necessarily look great, but he looked better. Abrams' drain has been burned over the top. But I'll tell you what, that guy has a nose for the football. You know, his name gets called a lot in all of our games, you know, not always for the reasons you want, but he is a, he's an active defender. He's a young football player. And I think he's somebody that we're going to really like going forward, you know, on the defensive line, you know, obviously Wingo had that touchdown, defensive touchdown, which is awesome. And I, I think everybody can see that he is a pretty good football player. And again, a young guy and somebody we need to play well, if this defense is going to be better in the future. I mean, there were reasons for optimism too. And despite the fact that we gave up like 500 yards of offense to North Texas. <laughs> and that's going to be hard to put lipstick on that pig. It left me, and I think, Colin, you, you're well aware of this. It left a bad taste in my mouth, that game did. and, and I, yeah, I, You were drunkenly rage-tweeting. I was. I was, and I think I owe Buffalo Bill, our fan Buffalo Bill, an apology. I think I went after him a little too hard. People were saying, we're always too negative. We're the negative ones. And it's more me than it is you, Colin, right? I mean, that's obvious. And it's also yeah. the night of. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm a different guy the, ne- the next day. But at the same time, I don't disavow a lot of what I said that night. I was upset and I was negative. If you want to call it pessimism or being pessimistic or that we are pessimistic, 
optimistic. I said to Colin off air, it's only pessimism if you're wrong. The, <laughs> yeah. The, the, the going thing, the people who want to stay on the camp and st- keep their eyes forward and not get too discouraged by what we're seeing and what is essentially a blown lost year is that, oh, Barry Odom left the cupboard bare. We don't have the talent. When we get the guys in, everything will be great. But that makes a huge assumption and it's based on nothing, which is that as excited as we have been for Eli Drinkwitz, he's a guy we didn't know his name three years ago, and he had one good season at App State. And the question always remained is like, maybe he's not any good either. I well, hope he is. You know what I mean? Like all the things indicate that he would be a good coach, but we don't know yet if he is. And so while it could very well be that we're not doing well because Barry Odom's team that he left us is not good enough, it could very much also be that we're not good now and that Drinkwitz isn't good. And asking these questions, I don't think is pessimistic. It's just observing what we're seeing and asking the questions. I, I mean, I'm not saying you, that it's the case. I'm you, just saying that it, it, this, these are possibilities. If we want to look at this scientifically and logically, you have to say, we don't know who's good or bad yet because we don't have the body of evidence. And so to just assume that Drinkwitz will do better because it's out of just hope is like a cult member following, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that you can have optimism for Drankwitz without being a cult member though, Brennan. I mean, yeah, no, no, no. I'm just saying it's like to not even question it and saying that you oh, can't, I understand. I understand, but your assertion that, you know, like he's the monorail salesman from the Simpsons. It's maybe it's, I'm not saying he's not, I'm just saying it seems we are midway through his second season and based on the body of work, Obviously, Wilkes is a swing and a miss. I don't think. Yeah, he's not. We can make an assertion with a lot of optimism that he will not be our defensive coordinator next season. You know, there he is recruiting, you know, and he is. He absolutely is. uh, And the offense is is scoring points. And I think they're undersized. They're under talented right now. And truthfully, on one side of the ball, they're badly coached. I mean, we've discussed it in in other episodes that we are getting a out of us on a scale of one to 10. We are getting a one performance from a team that. You would hope we could give you a three or a four on defense. I don't think anybody's dreams of us being a uh, an eight, but certainly I think everybody, including the the local and national media, expected our defensive line to be a strength of this team, and it has been, you know, maybe our biggest weakness. Listen, there's reasons to be upset. People are justified in in being mad, even in a win against North Texas, because again, like, we gave up 500 yards of offense, but it is too quick. To jump ship and uh well and but, that's why but, like you but, know i was tweeting i texted brennan and i was like stop drunken rage tweeting <laughs> like stop getting in individual arguments with people like uh it's it's and he's and brennan was was receptive i think you you kind of calmed down after that i like, i, I did doing i did but what i'm obviously drunk that's what i knew when i started seeing the 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 twitter feed i was like well brennan's obviously shit can uh, yeah, I am. I was. I was drunk. I was drunk then. I'm drunk now. But <laughs> I, I think, Colin, my ultimate we need point. We talk about your problem later after the show. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the point that with a day of reflection and some sobriety that I, I really ultimately wanted to make is that Drinkwitz has been recruiting at a level we've not seen and the future should be bright. But we can't just blindly say that everything is going to be okay simply because it's all Odom's fault because of one reason. And I think the reason I kind of came after Drinkwitz harder and faster than I have with, say, Conzo Martin is because we had higher expectations than this and nobody saw what's happening now coming. And the point that I think we have to question Drinkwitz at this stage is, and, and I'm saying questioning isn't 
calling for his head, but we ha- he has to be questioned in that our defense is historically bad and the worst defense in all of college football. Now, we were left, maybe the cupboard was bare, but it wasn't that bare, and there has been coaching flaws, and it may all well have been Steve Wilkes's bad coaching, but at the end of the day, Drinkwitz is the... Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The CEO of this team, and he chose Steve Wilkes and paid him a ton of money. And it is at a historically bad defensive level. And so I'm not saying fire Drinkwitz, and I'm not saying that Drinkwitz is terrible and can't do it. I'm just saying that it is fair to assess him poorly, even in the fifth game of the second season, when we have the worst defense in all of Division One college football. Well, Brandon, that now, is a valid complaint. Have you considered this, that maybe it's the lack of support from the administration and fans that is causing the football team to do poorly and has nothing to do with the head coach? I've heard that argument made about the basketball team before. Have you considered that for the football team, perhaps? Well, I hadn't until just this very moment, and now maybe, I know. Maybe, Brennan, maybe. It's uh, it's that we just don't support them enough, and the administration doesn't support them enough, and it has nothing to do with the head coach. It's my understanding that that is a completely rational argument for not doing what you're supposed to do as the coach. Now that you've elucidated that for me, Colin, I can say, you know, the, the 35 points that we gave up to North Texas, at least 21 of them are on me for my tweets. Yeah, not that night. <laughs> well, I'll take response. I'll take the hit for 21 of those. The rest of them go on Steve Wilkes's head, but 21 of them come at Brendan. It's his fault. Well, not necessarily Brendan, but I mean, just the fan base in general. We're just not investing enough. And, you know, it's not the coach's fault at all. And obviously that's not true. And it, it but it's, um, I just, I don't know. I just felt when you were talking about it, I was like, how? I mean, it just, it brought me back to a place where, um, people were saying ridiculous things well i just i want to say uh sorry to buffalo bill we love you and you were right all along i was just drunk and angry (laughs) you sure were but like i said you know i watched this game and i thought there were reasons for optimism but it just it's north texas you know i saw our defensive line get pressure i saw there's forced fumbles and interceptions and um you know tyler Beatty is just ridiculous i mean it's not fair for a guy as talented as tyler Beatty to play against north texas honestly i mean a couple of those runs he had, or just, that one in particular, where he literally was just caught in a sea of guys and he just bounces out and runs it out for like another 60 yards. And it's like, you're literally looking for, the guy needs to wear a cape. If you look at the numbers for like Basilac, they are far from impressive for playing a, uh, a, you know, a shit bird of a team. I think the last two games you've cooled on Basilac dramatically. Am I right? Well, I have. I mean, I 
it's not that I don't think Basilak can um, still be who I think he's going to be, because I did have big expectations for him. But he has certainly lost some confidence. But I am going to chalk some of that up to some really poor offensive line play, and including in this game, which is another reason if you watch this snap by snap, you go, well... Our offensive line did not really dominate the line of scrimmage, at least not on the passing plays. Now they certainly gave Beatty a lot of a lot of opportunities, but you know, listen, in the trenches, both sides of the ball, Missouri has got problems—problems problems that are not going to be fixed this season, and problems that are only going to be laid more bare when you go up against the likes of Georgia and Arkansas, who both have very good players in the trenches. Especially fucking Georgia, Jesus Christ! Georgia has got the best defensive line in the country, and. I don't know what happens to our offensive line against them. Well, I, I saw, I mean, this is a little SEC round the horn kind of talk, but I watched the Georgia game and I thought, well, I think they're better than Alabama. I think they're the number one team in the country. And then, of course, the Texas A&M Alabama game happened and only obviously cemented that notion amongst a lot of people's um, thoughts that Georgia's fucking freight train this year. I mean, damn. You know, maybe they'll beat us wrong. Georgia often does, but son of a bitch. And the fact that they're still ahead of us on our calendar and not in our rear view mirror scares the shit out of me, especially referring to Bazelak and that offense calling. I mean, don't you, aren't you getting the impression having watched the last few weeks that we can score points, but we're pretty one dimensional. You know what I mean? And that one dimension is a really awesome dimension. It's Tyler Beatty, but gosh, it's a lot of screen passes and Bazelak just for that. Yeah, yeah, but, but I mean, Basilek, he struggles with the deep ball. I think it's fair to say at this stage, he, he's not too accurate with the deep ball. Now, it's not fair to him 100% because maybe those receivers aren't getting separation, but I mean, we rely entirely on the legs of uh, Beatty, and and it's hard to run a I complete offense that way. Certainly, I just, I, I expected Basilek to improve and like develop more as a quarterback, and he hasn't. I mean, he is the same guy. If anything, he's regressed, really. You know, everybody was getting excited about the quarterback recruits coming into Mizzou. I thought, man, they're going to have a tough time because Bazelak's going to, you know, you're going to have a couple years here to cement that job. But part of the reason I have less confidence in Bazelak now is, is the is the play calling of Drinkwitz. I mean, it reminds me of the Kansas City Chiefs are a perfect example when they had Alex Smith, a guy who wasn't great with the deep ball, you know, wasn't just wasn't that good. I mean, he was good, but he wasn't great. But they, there's lots of bubble screens, lots of screen passes, lots of that kind of shit. Get it out fast, get it out fast, get it out fast. And I think you see that across the NFL and across college when a, when a coach does not have a lot of confidence in both his quarterback or his offensive line, screen passes become a pretty big part of the offense. And that's always disconcerting. You know what I mean? Like uh, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs of 2021 with Patrick Mahomes don't need to throw very many wide receiver bubble screens or screen passes to the uh, running back. I mean, because they have a quarterback who can fucking sling it. And the way that Drinkowitz play calls makes me concerned that Drinkowitz doesn't have all the confidence in the world in Blazelak. Well, and it's not just Bazelak either, though, Colin. When you talk about the Kansas City Chiefs, you're also not just talking about Patrick Mahomes. You're talking about the best wide receiver in the league and the best tight end in the league. He's got options. I mean, I don't know that Bazelak has. He doesn't have wide receivers getting open. You know, he. he well, but even in those days, even those Alex Smith had his fair share of good wide receivers. He played with Travis Kelsey. He played with Tyreek Hill. He played with uh, Jeremy Macklin. I mean, he's had guys to throw to. These coaches build their offensive game plan around the quarterback, and that's what I'm saying. I, I understand that Baselak doesn't have the talent Patrick Mahomes is out there, but even if he did, I'm not sure he's capable of utilizing that talent just based on the way of – I'm just assuming Drinkwitz knows what he's doing, and he's not extremely confident 
and Bazelak doing a lot of, you know, going down the field. Now they throw plenty of deep balls, don't be wrong, but there's way too much short stuff, too much screens. And truthfully, this could be every bit as much a product of a bad offensive line as anything else. I mean, that is typically the other biggie when you're, when you're doing that quick pass, that screen game, you know, maybe slants, lots of get it out quick. Uh, that typically doesn't say a lot for your offensive line either. No, I, I think you're right. I think that, uh, Bazelak we see week in and week out is a little bit different based on who we're playing. Tennessee obviously manhandled our offensive line and uh, Bazelak did struggle to um, diversify what kind of offense he was leading. But I also think that where Bazelak is a real asset are in those games. I mean, he, I think, scrambles and manages having not a lot of time and a lot of pocket pressure better than a Drew Locke did. And we've seen him in a lot of circumstances where he is running for his life, and he does that with some confidence. But when he does have time to run the offense, that's where we would like to see a little bit more creativity, a little bit more magic, and it hasn't displayed itself even against the likes of North Texas. You know, Drew Locke, Threw for more touchdowns than anybody in SEC history, at least at one time. Some people are going to think this is a crazy thing to say, but I'd still rather have Bayslack in the day. <laughs> Drew Locke was limited, but he had he had some he had a better offensive line. He had a he had a deep threat that Bayslack certainly doesn't have, and maybe one of these guys will develop into that. But Emmanuel Hall was a was a legit deep threat. I don't know. There, it feels like I'm bagging on. Lock and I'm not. I mean, Lock was was fine, and ba- but Bazelak still done some things. That I don't think Lock was doing. I mean, Lock was Jesus for the first two seasons. They had cut the field in half for Lock. You know, they wouldn't even let him throw the whole. I mean, literally anybody that was a defensive coordinator could look at the the uh, Mizzou game plan and be like, "Hey, if he if this is the play they're running, don't even worry about the left half of the field. They're not even going to open that up for him because he can't read the defenses yet." And so I don't think they've ever had that issue with Bazelak. I mean, Bazelak is obviously going through a lot of progressions. And I think he's a smart, accurate, for the most part, quarterback who's in a bad situation. But he has certainly not excelled in the way that I hoped he would, even under these circumstances. Well, the thing that I wonder about for the rest of this year, I mean, we we have not had 50,000 people come to this Stadium, which I think now seats around 65,000. It has been almost half empty every week. The enthusiasm is low and waning. And I mean, you know, I, I raged out as I tend to do on Twitter and people were saying, Oh, these guys are clowns. All they do is get negative the first time things don't go their way. But the reality is like, <laughs> I'm getting, getting up there, Colin. And I survived the 1980s Mizzou football and I saw what bad football looks like and how dispiriting it can be. And I'm frankly, if I'm taking heat from any Pollyanna who hasn't lived through the 1980s Mizzou football team, don't tell me about what being a good fan is like. Cause I endured that of 19 motherfucking eighties. But the other thing about that is Twitter ain't real life. And so like I was out on campus today and I talked to a lot of football to a lot of people and you know, negativity's high right now. People are not. No, nobody's particularly bagging on Drinkwitz, but nobody's enthused about Mizzou football right now. Nobody's going to the football games. Nobody's planning on going to the football games. You know when there's a buzz happening, and there is no buzz yeah, right now. And Drinkwitz had a yeah. buzz going, and that's I think that's why I got too down too fast is because he killed that buzz quick, and and Conzo never really had that buzz. We never expected them to be good last year. They exceeded our expectations and still weren't too good last year. I didn't expect an Addy, but I didn't expect this either. So, yeah, I was down. And I think a lot of people are. Yeah, no, and they have a right to be. And I think I feel the same way to an extent, you know, as far as like, do you want to go to games? What do you want to do? And it's kind of like, well, again, I want to go in a couple of years because I think in a couple of years it's going to be pretty good, you know, but nobody wants to watch this shit show um, right now. And there's something else that, uh, you know, Mizzou lacks despite 
you know, maybe not being very good right now is they really kind of lack star power other than Beatty. That's true. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's nobody on the, <laughs> he's a kicker. You know what I mean? There's nobody <laughs> on the defensive line. You think, man, that guy might have, might, might lead the nation in sacks this year. Or, you know, we had Bolton last year and Bolton was going to get 16 tackles and three for a loss and probably, you know, he may get an interception. He's going to do crazy superhero stuff almost every week. And it gave you a, you know, Gave you something to be excited about. And, um, I mean, Sands, Tyler Beatty, there's nobody on this team right now that engenders a lot of, like, enthusiasm. I mean, it's one of the reasons professional sports works better than college sports is because even when your team is really, really bad, there's typically somebody on your team worth watching. To put on the poster. Yeah, that's right. You've got it. Even the worst MLB baseball team has a guy who's smashing it. You know what I mean? And there's, you know, even on the worst NBA basketball team, there's a guy who fills it up for 40 points on a regular basis and does some fucking crazy sweet shit. And in football, you know, I mean, I, I've suffered many a bad season with the Kansas City Chiefs. Meanwhile, you know, a player like Jamal Charles keeps me coming back because the cocksucker might run for 200 yards and four touchdowns in a game. Now we're going to lose that game and several others, but it was something to hold on to and it was something entertaining to watch and as much as anything some of these games have just been flat out boring because you know other than those flashes of lightning that come from Beatty it's been that's why I, I say that I'm kind of starting to warm to Abrams drain um, he's starting to do some things on a regular, consistent enough basis to make me think that guy in a couple of years might really be special and same with Wingo and you know, I still am a Martez Manuel guy. I mean, he he was a uh, he was active today, and like I said, I I feel like if you want to be down on Wilkes, it's that he does not have Manuel close enough to the line of scrimmage. You know, like he, he needs to spend more time in the box. He hits people. I think last year I called him, you know, like a safety linebacker hybrid. Now that was in the Walters defensive scheme, and then in the Wilkes scheme, he has been much less active uh, inside the box. Now they blitz him once in a while, but as far as just actively involved in the in the down to down defense i feel like he's spent a lot of time in, in pass coverage and it's it's really that's not the strength of his game yeah i think you're right about the the superstars or lack thereof colin and, and nothing i think highlights that more for me than you know our intro every year when we do these intro there's guys that obviously we want to have in the intro or moments that they've created that should go in the intro because it's going to get people excited and people are going to remember when it came from and everything and this year there's like other than like putting Tyler Beatty in there, who else warrants an intro clip? You know, like who else is providing the moments of thrills that people will remember this season for? I don't know who it is. I, I honestly, personally, now I don't know if this is maybe he's just not a ball player good enough to be, be this, or maybe it's because Drankowitz not put emphasis on him, but I feel like Kiki Chisholm is a guy who has the ability and the size to be a, a game-changing type player. And I, I feel like if Mizzou isn't by design trying to get him more involved in the offense, they need to. The same way I, I, I wish they would involve Martez Manuel more in the defense in, in an aggressive way. I wish they would try, and, and don't get me wrong, Kiki Chisholm typically leads the team in catches, but that'll be three or four catches for a game. You know, I'd love for him to get a lot of targets because he's a big, physical, talented wide receiver. And one of the things I liked last year with Drinkwitz, I felt like he used the middle of the field more than we'd had in the f- several years. And I feel like that's kind of gone away too, a little bit. They, they're not using a lot the middle of the field a lot. I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to think after watching years of football that coaches at the college level are just scared to death 
of the middle of the football field um, just for fear of some, you know, a ball getting tipped in the air or at the line of scrimmage or by a linebacker and, and, and forcing a turnover. But I just, I feel like it's the most, it's the simplest pass for a quarterback to make. You know, it's every time some fucking football team on in the NFL drafts a quarterback, they always talk about how the, the tight ends, their best friend, like right in the middle of the field, those crossing routes. And I'm just like, so it's the easiest route. It's the best friend of a, of a rookie quarterback when he's in the NFL, but everybody's afraid of it in the college ranks. It's strange to me, but I, I feel like Mizzou definitely could get Kiki Chisholm involved more. Definitely involved more passing there in the middle of the field, get these tight ends more involved. Too many fucking bubble screens, too many right, or, you know, running back screens. You know what I mean? Like throw the fucking ball down the field. I mean, you are not a good football team right now. You are not going to like say win a natty. You're not in competition for the East. So be aggressive. What do you got to lose? Because losing is what you're staring down the barrel of anyway. So you might as well hang your nuts out there and throw some balls and, and try to attack as much as you possibly can. And if that gets you, gets you sacked, well, you're getting sacked anyway. You know what I mean? Shit's going bad anyway. So you might as well roll the dice. It's one of the reasons I, I was kind of high on Wilkes' defense because I like blitzing. You know, blitzing is high risk, high reward. But I mean, typically blitzing is something that, in my opinion, works if you have the horses to do it. Now, Mizzou doesn't have the horses to do it. And so when you're asking our cornerbacks to cover for four seconds at a time because we can't get anybody in the backfield, it's a problem. But typically I like it. And I just, why not blitz? You know, why not go down the field? Why not throw it over the middle field? Why not try to get these tight ends involved? Why not try to give Kiki Chisholm 10 targets in a game? Why not? Try something, anything, get it working, see if you can get something rolling. Yeah, I think that's uh, one of the things that was disappointing for me is that the way the offense stalled out in the third quarter uh, against North Texas, when we weren't doing great on offense against Tennessee, I kind of chalked it up a little bit to, well, you know, our defense put us in like a 21 fucking point hole from the outset. Our offensive line is making our quarterback scramble all over the field. The offense we're seeing right now is not the offense that Drinkwitz has designed. This is, we're, we're patching it together as best we can given the circumstances we have. North Texas isn't that. You know what I mean? Like we, we didn't have North Texas putting that kind of heat on us. The offense we saw against North Texas is the offense and it wasn't that great. And so that's, that's part of my spiral, I guess, too, is it's just not just the defense, which continued to be woeful, but the fact that the offense didn't inspire either against North Texas. I'm just like, man, we got AM next week. And what makes me think that's going to be better? Given uh, Drinkwitz's reputation, the offense has been conservative, I think. I want to be more aggressive on both sides of the ball because at this point we got to get, we got to try something. All right, Colin, why don't we take our first break? We uh, have a lot of show to cover and we got some big football coming up in the week to come. Uh, not just Mizzou football, but SEC football in general. So we'll get back to all that as well as Kansas news after the break, and we'll have your phone calls. This is the Mazotcast. <laughs> Hey guys, Mazodcast is now on Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can join our Patreon page and get extra content from the guys, outtakes from the show, and any insider news that we have, we provide it there first. It doesn't cost much and your support helps the show. Join the Mazodcast Patreon and be part of the team. Here are our secrets.
and we are back. Why don't we just jump right into voicemails? Uh, a lot of people had a lot to talk about after that North Texas game, so let's open the mailbag. Here's the mail, it never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. Colin, uh, I screened some of these calls, and uh, you know, if you thought that I had gone dark, if I had gone a little negative, wait for the voicemails. <laughs> yeah. Man, this team sucks. Right now we're winning 31 to 14 against UNT, but man, we suck. And God bless SC Network, but they're giving us way too much credit. We suck. Ugh, hot garbage. Hot garbage. I know it's only North Texas and we're winning by 20 points, but the offense has just looked fucking horrible in the second half. The first half, we looked amazing. The defense looked amazing. But so far in the second half, the defense has looked way better than the offense. And the play calling, it's just, it's just fucking awful. Like, if, if anybody's watching this game right now, you can just tell the offense literally has no idea what the fuck they're doing. Drinkwitz is calling screen passes on third and 17 in the red zone. What the fuck? I, I really don't know what the fuck is going on with this, this play calling here. It's fucking horrible. Hot garbage. Hot garbage. Drink woods. Get fucking better. <laughs> That's all we ask. Just get better. Well, dress me up like a clown and fuck me in the ass. This defense <laughs> is a fucking circus. Go fuck yourselves. Love you, bye. <laughs> uh, Phil, dress me up like a clown and fuck me in the ass. We all felt that way. I think we were all thinking it. Yeah, I'm sure that's basically personifies what most Mizzou uh, fans feel. Guys, we fucking suck. It's 48-35. There's a minute left. I wouldn't be surprised if we fucking lose this game. But we fucking suck. Defense is so goddamn sorry every fucking week. Connor fucking sucks. Thank God for Tyler Brady. Ah, this shit is terrible. This shit is just terrible. M-I-Z. <laughs> they're, they're tapping into my Twitter feelings. Yep. How in the fucking world does a defensive coordinator keep his job after giving up 474 yards, almost 500 fucking yards of offense to a bottom feeder conference USA team and 35 fucking points. That is so fucking embarrassing. Drinkwitz is not a stupid guy, and I, I think he knows that the clock's ticking on Wilkes. One of these times, he's just got to fucking realize that this guy, this NFL retread shit, they had it with the D-line coach, and Drinkwitz canned his ass. It's not going to fucking work in college. These guys don't know how to recruit. They don't know how college works, and they're fucking retreads. And you know why they're retreads? Because nobody else wanted them. And Drinkwitz is slowly starting to fucking realize that shit. Fucking hot garbage. Hot garbage. Oh, my God. Colin, I think that Drinkwitz already knows that Wilkes is bad, and, and Drinkwitz is not going to fire Steve Wilkes after a bad game. He's going to last this whole season long, and the, part of the reason is because of money. He's getting paid so much money. The buyout is yep. so much money. This program has run in the red for the last five years. Where is the money going to come from? He's got to endure it, and also at this point, what does it fucking matter? You know, like we're already... We're not in contention for anything. So just swallow it, deal with it at the end of the year. And the, the other thing, too, is that you got rid of Jethro Franklin. He was obviously a sacrificial lamb. Coaches have scapegoats. That's what the assistant's job partially is, is to bite the bullet. and They, they take the bullet whenever the coach is under fire. And if you get rid of Steve Wilkes now, 
you got no more scapegoats. You know what I mean? It's not like you're going to get suddenly better by getting rid of Steve Wilkes. Somebody's got to be the defensive coordinator. You got to get through this year. So it's not going to happen because you give up 474 yards to uh, North Texas. And it's not going to happen when you get blown out by 30 from Georgia. He's sticking around for the whole year. And after that, I do think he's gone. I I appreciate guys working in the term hot garbage into their uh, messages because it's it's a sort of a signature of the show. I hope somebody's going to work in hobo cum for us, bro. Hobo cum. <laughs> I, I, I want hobo cum to have legs. Hot dog water had legs. Hot dog water. Obviously, hot garbage has lasted the longest of any of the this show's sayings. Hot, hot garbage. But hobo cum, it's a hobo cum year. I mean, we know we're well, we're deep into hobo cum. Hobo cum. And it's rancid. Yeah, it ain't great. Well, I'll get it out of the way first, the good things. Uh, Tyler Beatty and Harrison Nevis are both going to be playing on Sundays, and that's going to be freaking awesome. But, oh, man, the offense looked completely flat in the second half. Uh, Basilak can't hit a deep ball if his life depended on it. And the defense is FCS level bad. I mean, A&M's going to put up 60 on us, and Georgia might put up 70. So things are not great. I mean, the best thing I can say is it wasn't Middle Tennessee State all over again. That's probably the nicest thing I can say. So I'll enjoy the win. Hopefully you can win two or three more with Vandy and South Carolina not looking great. But I don't know if they win another game. Yeah, I'm kind of soured on Drinkwitz. I'm definitely soured on Wilkes. He needs to go. But Drinkwitz, he's going to have to earn me back because this is not even close to a good or watchable team. You know, and... and he can win us back. It's probably going to be very easy to win us back. You know, if he starts out like a house on fire next year, and he very well could, then we should all be back. And we should, I, nothing would make me happier than be like, I wish I'd never said that stuff about Drinkwitz. I wish I'd have never called him the monorail salesman from The Simpsons because he's the real deal. But at this point, we just don't know yet. And so, you know, call things into question. It's okay. You know, it's, it doesn't make you a bad fan, but you don't know yet either. You know what I mean? The the Pollyannas could be just as right as you are. Well, I know where you Lambert, and you think we're going to be North Haverbrook. <laughs> I I hope we end up better than Ogdenville. <laughs> yeah, and by gum, we put them on the map. I've sold monorails to Brockway, Ogdenville, and North Haverbrook, and by gum, it put them on the map. This football team, as well as Mizzou Athletics in general, don't even deserve a long-winded, angry rant. They simply suck ass. That's the call. (laughs) I don't know why you got to drag the whole athletic department into this. I mean, right now it simply is the football team. Steve Walks is just such trash. I mean, the the man can't get it together. You know, I'm not saying fire him now, but... You can't let this go on. What are you going to wait, you know, four years until he gets all his, his recruits up and running? You know, the scheme should be worth something. And if he's this bad with his scheme, even with maybe not the best players, it's just not going to work out. I don't think he's going to last too much longer. And, yeah, I'm taking this call from the bathroom because this team just constipates the shit out of me. <laughs> Oh, that's crazy because it usually gives me massive diarrhea. Yeah, I could hear that famous bathroom echo. I know it well from whenever Colin tries to podcast from the shitter. (laughs) Colin, one of the things I think that is irritating to people and and why it makes it really tough for me to be like, okay, well, we'll just have to write this season off, but things are heading in the right direction is that, you know, like who we don't get to say that this season doesn't count. You know what I mean? Like ask Kentucky if this season counts, ask 
Boston College whether that game counts. I don't want to be like those Arkansas fans who, when we talk about beating them five years in a row, they say, well, yeah, but those were five bad years. Like They somehow don't count. They all count. This year counts. That's why I don't want this year to be historically bad. That's why I do get mad at the coach when they're historically bad because next year could be great, but this year counts too. Anyway, everybody's mad. That's the mailbag. All of them? That's it. Well, Colin, we do face Texas A&M this weekend. I want to talk about that, but let's take a step back and look at the rest of the SEC. I think it'll be exciting because the SEC is getting good. It's time to go around the horn. We we break our bread at Waffle House. Our teams are pretty good. We even play some basketball when Jesus says we should. So pour a little bourbon and repeat right after me. We built the church for Saturdays and called it SEC. Loves football. And Colin, would you do the honors and boot up the Paul Feinbot? Here we go. Alabama, Alabama, Nick Saban. All right, Colin, let's start this thing with the LSU Kentucky game. And boy, you watch Kentucky play LSU, and you kind of wonder, how did we stay in that? How were we only a one-touchdown loss against this Kentucky team that just clobbered LSU 42-21? to 21? <laughs> yeah. Coach O is not long for this world. I, which, I mean, like I said, he won a national championship with Joe Burrow, which – so. I, I see. I'm seeing this meme all the time of the uh, of him being morphed into uh, Chisholm. Chiswick. Chiswick. Yeah. Incorrect. Sorry. You're thinking of Jism. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, you know, because he had uh, Cam Newton, and that was uh, basically his key to success. And I think they're right. I I remember when they when they hired Ogeron. I'm just like Ogeron, really? Like I don't think that's going to work out. That guy seems like a cartoon character. Mm-hmm. And then what? Goddamn national championships. I'm like, well, shows what I know. But uh, I feel like what's happening now is what was my expectation. You can't put Fred Flintstone in charge of a blue chip Division One college football program and expect you can't expect a Hanna Barbera character to be the guy. And so, and that's the, the same reason I accept Sam Pittman to eventually fall on his fucking face. You know? But, oh uh, yeah, he may prove me wrong too. No, I, I think you're right. Ed Ogeron knows football. I mean, he is made for that job. I, I always want Ed Ogeron to stick around down there in LSU because, like, he doesn't he he doesn't work everywhere else. The fact that he ever coached for the University of Southern California, I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not Ed Ogeron. Ed Ogeron belongs, and he's got gumbo in his veins. You know? Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, but I think Ed Ogeron is a, is just, is like Barry Odom in that. He's probably going to be a very successful defensive coordinator somewhere uh, again. But, you know, he's not a head coaching material, in my opinion, which is crazy to say about a guy who won a national championship. Two years ago. But I just, yeah, I mean, but, you know, he just, he had an incredible team and uh, God bless him. He did, he did exactly what you need to do with that team. But, uh, you know, like I said, I think it's at the end of the day, I think we've talked about it, I think it's shtick and shticks wear out. Yeah, it is amazing how fast he's fallen from grace because this isn't just this year being bad. He was bad last year. I mean, it's uh, it's interesting. They are not happy down there in Baton Rouge. Vanderbilt's not happy either, Colin. They took on Florida this weekend, and 4-2 and Florida whipped them, dicked them, 42 to nothing. Yep, that's not surprising. Vanderbilt is looking like our uh, last uh, gasp at a chance for a win, maybe South Carolina. 
But, uh, I mean, really, I, with this defense, it's hard to imagine uh, really beating anybody. I mean, it's just, it's the worst in the country, and that's not hyperbole. Well, we've got to make sure it's any game that we win, it's going to be in a shootout because we certainly can't count on our defense to keep us in ball games. So like you said, Vandy and South Carolina, they don't look very good, but who knows what they can do whenever they're not facing any defensive pressure at all. Zero. Yep. Speaking of South Carolina, they played at Neyland Stadium against now four and two Tennessee who whipped the Gamecocks 45 to 20. Yeah, Tennessee basically did do South Carolina what they did to us, which says a lot about South Carolina and us. We're not very good football teams right now because I feel like Tennessee is middling at best, and they and they put it on both of both us and South Carolina. You're right about that. One of the better games of the weekend, Ole Miss took on Arkansas in Vaught-Hemingway in Oxford. Did you watch this one, Colin? I didn't, but I get looked by, based on the score and the highlights. I definitely should have. Well, it was a shootout, as you might have imagined, against with these two teams. Uh, Ole Miss won the game fifty-two to fifty-one. Arkansas went for two with no time left on the clock to uh, avoid overtime and try to get the win then and there and get back to Arkansas. They uh, overthrew the receiver in the end zone. Ole Miss comes away with a one-point win, a huge win for Ole Miss against a very good Arkansas team. Both teams highly ranked, and uh, you know, also both teams that were kind of embarrassed the week before. Obviously, Arkansas got whipped by Georgia, and Ole Miss got manhandled by Alabama, and so they were both looking for a little retribution, and Ole Miss was the one that came away with it. Yeah, you know, ultimately, Arkansas now has two losses in a row, but they had two losses in a row to, you know, like they got whipped by Georgia badly. And I think Arkansas is a pretty good team right now, but they're still not top tier. And that's kind of the way I feel about Ole Miss. Ole Miss is a good team, but they're not top tier. And this was, like I said, a couple of good football teams in the second tier of this, of this conference, but in heads. But, you know, if you're an Arkansas fan like right now, I don't mind that call. I don't mind going for it. I don't mind trying to put the dagger in. There's nothing about that game to hang your head about. I mean, I wish Mizzou would play a game that competitive with a good football team. So, you know, I hate Arkansas. I hate for them to have success. I'm happy they lost. But, I mean, uh, nothing about this this uh, loss made me think, boy, Missouri's got a chance. <laughs> no, I uh, I agree with that. I, I watched it, and I thought, boy, Arkansas is going to fucking destroy us. They're going to house us. <laughs> I think he tweeted as much. You're right about that. Yeah. <laughs> I think I might have snuck that in there at some point. All right. Uh, another two teams which were kind of highly rated. Auburn faced Georgia at Auburn. Georgia had no trouble. They uh, whipped Auburn 34-10. to 10. Despite Texas A&M's win, there are two Titans in this uh, SEC right now, and they're Georgia and Alabama. And uh, I think everybody is ready to see that matchup. You're right about that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's what it's all going to come down to. I don't think anybody has any mistakes about that. I, I don't think that Georgia-Florida game, I, I don't know. It could be good. Florida has shown moments of greatness. I mean, I wouldn't say greatness, but Florida's shown moments where they look like a really good football team. But at this point, I don't know if anybody in the country can beat Georgia. Uh, it can, yeah, well, Kentucky beat Florida. So, I mean, like, they're not that good. And, uh, and that's not to take nothing away with Kentucky. They're 6-0 and right now and just beat LSU. But I think Arkansas in week five got beat at 4-1, and got beat by Georgia 37-0. to Yes, sir. And so I think Florida is a lot closer to being – you know Arkansas than they are to Georgia. I expect I, I expect a game a turnout like thirty four ten like Auburn took today from Georgia, uh, Florida. You know honestly, you know at right now if Georgia and Alabama played this weekend, I'd probably pick Georgia. 
I, I would too. I really would. I'd pick Georgia over anybody in the country. But it, that, that does take us to the final game on the docket, Colin. And I think this game might not just have been the game of the week, but this could end up being the game of the season for SEC play. Texas A&M hosted Alabama at Kyle Field. Texas A&M led throughout, but it did look like at times that Alabama was going to make a run and overtake them. But A&M wouldn't let up. They ended up uh, tied late in the game and uh, booted in a last-second field goal for a huge win for Jimbo Fisher, 41-38. to Yeah, Texas A&M. Uh-oh, Paul Feinbach. I shouldn't have said not, that. Yeah, You know, uh, the Feinbot has very rarely had to endure uh, Alabama losses, so it's it, it overheats his cooling system every time. But I'll, I'll say this for Texas A&M. You know, there was a time they were winning this game kind of handily at points, then Alabama blocked a pump. It's like, how the fuck you let that happen? The biggest fucking game ever in your league. Just shit the bed like that. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, well, here comes Alabama. But reboot. Uh, A&M kept fighting. I think what I what I definitely saw in that game was A&M doesn't have as many five-star athletes on their program. And they certainly aren't as uh, – Fisher definitely hasn't learned to harness their talent in the way that Nick Saban does. But like that Clemens guy on their defensive line, like there are players on on A and M's team that are just big, physical, chiseled out of granite, fucking superstars. You know what I mean? I'm just like Jesus Christ, what is that guy going to do to Missouri's offensive line? <laughs> and so, like, I don't think what we saw against Alabama for Texas A and M is what you're going to get out of Texas A and M on a week to week basis. I mean, they got two losses on their schedule already just to prove that. But in the biggest stage, they gave everything they had to Alabama and they beat them. And it gives you hope as an AM fan that they if if Jimbo Fisher can figure out a way to be a better coach, that they have the ability, you know, if when when if they he can get them all to paddle in the same direction and give them max effort, they're Alabama good. And just they haven't been Alabama good every weekend and week out. Honestly, what's the line for Mizzou Alabama or Texas AM right now? Nine points or something? Mm-hmm. It depends on where you look, eight and a half, nine. Yeah, I, I think that tells you everything you know about A&M because Vegas looks at him and says, yeah, they can beat Alabama if everything's going right and if they give everything they've got. But to this point, that's not who they've been on a most for, on a week-in-a-week basis. And they're, I guess they expect them after a big win against Alabama to kind of regress back to being sort of Texas A&M, <laughs> which is basically you know, has a history of being criminally inconsistent. It was a program-defining win, though, for, for A&M. I mean, Jimbo Fisher had made comments that were highly publicized before the season that he would beat Nick Saban at Texas A&M before Nick Saban retired. And Nick Saban responded by saying, what, at golf? And uh, obviously... He beat him in the first year, having said those re- remarks, and Colin with a fucking backup quarterback to boot. You know what I mean? Like this was a big goddamn deal, and it, it also it was the first time Nick Saban had ever been beaten by a former assistant. Nick Saban, yes, by a former Nick Saban assistant, and uh, you know many many had tried. Obviously, uh, Lane Kiffin tried a couple weeks ago and didn't come anywhere near to having the success. And we should also remember that A&M was ranked number six in the country coming into this season. They had underperformed this year like they tend to do. We'd kind of written them off a little bit. Honestly, Colin, we've talked about what an angry tweeter I had been, but we've been wrong about everything this year. We've been wrong about where Mizzou would be. We've been wrong about Texas A&M. We've been wrong about Arkansas. Like, just scratch this off as a year that we were completely fucking wrong. Watching this game made me realize – it's been a long time since Missouri has played on that stage. Yes, it has. You know, I was watching a, it was a nighttime game on 
a major network, you know, and I, as they, as they had that, you know, those, those drone or boom camera angles where they show you like right at the line of scrimmage and they get right up close and, you, and you're just like, Oh, you know, they don't break that out for our games. And the, it's a primetime game on a major network Saturday night. And since Shane Ray's Michael Sam days, I was the last time I can remember playing on that kind of stage. And uh, because we, you know, obviously we've had night games like on the sec network or something, but it's been a while. And it's like, God it has been so long since we've been in that circumstance. God, that, and that running back for Alabama, Jesus Christ, that guy's a, animal you're right about that yeah it it made it it made me realize we're you know i I, god knows i hope drinkowitz can get us there but we're a long way from being on that stage because i mean watching those teams play i just kind of shook my head in awe of the football being played and the players doing it and then just the raw talent and athleticism that was all over that field in the atmosphere too. I mean, Colin, I took Mrs. Mazodcast out to D Rose tonight, and for those you know not in Columbia or have never been to D Rose, it's just the walls are just laced with Mizzou stuff. You know, jerseys and posters, and you know, newspaper clippings from games of you know great things in our history. And I was just kind of surrounded by you know like Chase Daniel helmets and jerseys and the poster of the goalpost coming down after we beat Nebraska, and and I just thought like, goddamn. This has all been a while, you know what I mean? And and how good did all that feel? I was down Saturday night, clearly, but sometimes being a Mizzou fan just fucking sucks, you know what I mean? It just, it's hard. It's not hard to be an Alabama fan. You don't have many nights like this where you get beat by Texas A&M. You've got to endure those because most of the time you're just beating everybody up, but it's not like that at Mizzou. And so when you're surrounded by those memories of the good times, it just it hurts to see other teams doing it and us just sort of you know on the sidelines watching it happen, not a factor anywhere, and it makes me sad. For sure. Well, let's look ahead to next week on that note. Uh, Tennessee and Ole Miss are going head-to-head. I think this will be an interesting one. It is at Tennessee. Ole Miss is just a three-point favorite in this one. It's a 6:30 night game on the SEC Network. I like Ole Miss. They're a good team. they got a lot of offense. Tennessee, we saw what they could do to us. They're clearly moving in the right direction, but they are also a flawed team. I, I feel like I've got Ole Miss in this. You talk about a couple of teams that are mirroring styles. I mean, you talk about two teams that are all gas, no breaks, offense, fast, let's do it, move, move, move. It'll be fun to see. They may score a 1,000 points. <laughs> That's right. Take the over. Ole Miss. Yeah. No, I don't know what the over is, but take it. But you got Ole Miss on this one as well, Colin, or do you think Tennessee's got a shot? Yeah, I'm going to say Ole Miss. Well, I should put it this way. I wouldn't bet this game. Except for the over. This Florida team, 4-2, and two, ranked 20th in the country, Colin, is going to be facing LSU at 11 a.m. Florida's 10-point favorite in this game, and I understand why after seeing what uh, happened against Kentucky. LSU don't look good. They're 3-3 three and three on the season. Would you take Florida in those 10 points? Yeah, probably this point I would after LSU shit the bet against Kentucky. There's, you know, there's two ways a team goes after they drop to 500, they lose to a to a sort of a middling, I say a middling team. They're six to zero, but Kentucky, I don't. Still isn't. He, it's still they still aren't Georgia or, or Alabama. I just feel like there's, you know, either you bounce back or you your season kind of falls apart. And I'm just going to say with Ogeron's your coach, you're more likely to fall apart. Yeah, I tend to agree. I would. Uh, I think I'd give up those ten. And I wouldn't be too worried about it, honestly. I, I just LSU doesn't look very good. Not sure about that, Paul. Who do you got? LSU. Wow, he likes the West, I guess. He always has. All right. Uh, Auburn is heading to Fayetteville to take on Arkansas. They got the early CBS game. Arkansas is a three and a half point favorite, 17th in the country right now. 
after the little loss to Ole Miss. I don't know. I mean, I think Arkansas at home is going to beat Auburn. I really do. They've looked like the more impressive team to me than Auburn. Arkansas three and zero at home, and they're going to have they're going to they're going to be a, a raucous place. And I'm not, I'm not Auburn is. It just they they aren't it this year, you know. And another game that I wouldn't want to bet, but what? I will take Arkansas. Paul, who do you like? Auburn. Yeah. Well, he's never going to go against an Alabama-based team. Well, this is the next game on the docket, Colin. I think this is going to be an interesting one because we're going to see what Kentucky really is. They're ranked number eleventh in the country right now. I think I saw that they are six and zero for the first time since the nineteen fifties. The 1950s, that's 70 years ago is the last time they've been 6-0. But they're playing Georgia, and they're going to play in Athens, Georgia, CBS 230 game. Georgia, you, you are you looking at the line right now, Colin? You know what it is? I do. 23 and a half points. And I take it because I expect Georgia to push their turds so far up inside of them. This is a turd pushing, Brennan. I'm calling it. <laughs> I think Kentucky... Is you know they 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 they're riding high and selling things good, but Georgia is a different animal, and I'm just I'm expecting a turd pushing, and anything other than a turd pushing by Georgia will disappoint me. I just imagine, Colin. Just imagine Georgia's number one in the country, by the way, at this point. Imagine rooting for a team that was going to face the number eleven team in the country and was a twenty three and a half point favorite over the number eleven team in the country. Can you imagine rooting for a team like that? I can't imagine how different that would feel. It would be different. Well, who have you got in this one? Georgia. Yeah, that's obvious. It's the obvious choice. South Carolina and Vanderbilt going up against each other. This is a couple of bottom feeders along with Missouri. It's the 3 o'clock SEC Network game. Vanderbilt's 2-4. and four. South Carolina is 3-3. Three and three. South Carolina is an 18.5-point favorite over Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt is just that bad. I wouldn't take it. I, You know, 18.5 is too many. And South Carolina looks bad. So does Vanderbilt, though. I don't know. I don't know. I think 18.5 is a lot of points. I mean, I think head-to-head, obviously, yeah. South Carolina is going to win this game. But I don't know if they're going to cover that spread. And I feel like Vanderbilt's going to get up for this game as much as any game they're going to play because it's going to be one of the few opportunities they probably see on their schedule to maybe eke out a win. And an SEC conference win at that. Paul, who do you like? South Carolina. Mississippi State is going to be hosting now number 5 Alabama. They fell four spots after the loss at Texas A&M. Uh, Mississippi State's 3-2. and two. Alabama just the 17-point favorite over the Bulldogs and the fighting Mike Leaches. Uh, obviously, Alabama's winning this game. Yeah, I, uh, I I would take that because I just feel like Alabama is going to be I, – I don't care who they're playing, whether it's Mississippi State or wherever. They just lost on the national stage. I feel like whoever comes next, and in this case Mississippi State, whoever that person is, is going to t- just be destroyed. I mean, they are going to stomp them to death, and so – uh, I, I could definitely see the spread being much larger than 17. I just feel like Alabama is going to take out all of its um, last week's frustrations out on Mississippi State. Alabama, Alabama, Nick Saban, Nick Saban. The talent gap between these two teams is so is so enormous. And um, go with Alabama and, and, and take that spread because that's, that's not big enough. Colin, I'm looking at the over-unders because we talked about the Ole Miss-Tennessee game and what that might be. You know, the Auburn-Arkansas game is 53. The Florida-LSU game is 59. 60.5 for Mizzou and A&M. 44.5 for the Georgia-Kentucky game. You want to take a stab at what the over-under is for Ole Miss versus Tennessee? 
74. Close. This is one of the highest over-unders I've ever seen. 80. 80 points. Yeah, and I might take it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I could definitely see a 41 to 45 yeah. kind well, of game here. It, yeah, it'll be high scoring. If it, if it ends up being low scoring, that's going to be the only thing that surprises anybody. Well, because, I mean, literally both these teams are always trying to score as quickly as they can. Mm-hmm. And neither one of them is a tremendous defensive team. After the first quarter, if it was 21 to 21, I would not be surprised, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) I wouldn't either. All right. Uh, That brings us to our final game of the day. Of course, it's at 11 o'clock in the morning because all Missouri games are. They're hosting Texas A&M, who is now ranked number 21 in the country. They came in unranked before their game against Alabama. Uh, They're 4-2. As we mentioned before, they're just an 8.5-point favorite, according to Caesars Sportsbook. That line really surprises me, Colin. I, uh, I've seen it at nine. I've seen it at eight. But I, I just I expect this line to move. I think anybody that has watched our defense play and they watched what Texas A&M is capable of with this now emboldened backup quarterback, I mean, I think it's a two-touchdown game easily. Well, forget, forget our defense. Forget their offense. Done. What I saw – when A&M played Alabama was a defensive line or defensive talent on A&M side that is going to make our, I mean, our offensive line is fucked. I mean, if these guys play half as well as they did against Alabama, I mean, they You're were right about very, that. They were very disruptive to Alabama's offense. And we haven't got a third of the offensive line that Alabama does. Do you think, uh, here's this over under Colin, 45,000 people. Do you think we're going to have more or less than that in for O field for this game? Less. Yeah, people expect the bloodletting. I don't know. Maybe A and M draws a little better because they're a, I guess a, a former Big Twelve rival, and 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 they just beat Alabama or whatever. I don't know what the weather's supposed to be like, but I just I feel like at this point people had high expectations for this season, and now they have fallen. The bottom's fallen out, and so I think it's better when you aren't the expectations aren't as high. And you don't do as well, then it's like when people get really enthusiastic and then it just falls out and everybody's like, fuck this. You know what I mean? Like, there's something more disappointing about that. And yeah. because I think there was a buzz around this season, I think people have really just written it off. But I do think there's also sort of a baseline. Even if we like lose out, there's going to be maybe what 40,000 people just between season ticket holders yeah. and people just want to go to a football game and people are just blindly optimistic. But, um, I, you know, I, I can't imagine us getting fewer than 40,000 people in that stadium, but it's certainly not We're not going to top 50. I know that Paul, who do you think? Why should I, should I even ask who do you think is going to win this game? Paul, Texas A&M. Yeah. We are all thinking it, but uh, I don't know, Colin. What, what are your thoughts about this game going into it? The fact that uh, you know we don't have a lot of hope, and Texas A&M is coming off the biggest win of their, I don't know, last ten years of their program. I'd say. Oh, I think I just told you. I, I expect Basilak to have to run for his life. I expect three defensive linemen for Texas A&M to meet Beatty in the backfield mere uh, milliseconds after the ball's handed to him. I expect our defense to uh, be a fucking sieve. This is this is not going to be fun. This is the beginning of the part of the season where it gets ugly. Do you subscribe at all to the idea that maybe Texas A&M is going to have an enormous Alabama-sized hangover when they play Missouri, and it's just the emotion from that game is not going to serve them? Sized hangover and still beat us by three touchdowns. <laughs> we don't have a defense. Yeah, and we barely have an offensive line. You're certainly pumping me up. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> 
All right, Colin, why don't we uh, check in on our neighbors to the west because it always cheers me up and we do need a little cheering. It's time once again for Kansas News. I always heard there were three kinds of suns in Kansas. Sunshine, sunflowers, sons of bitches. This is Kansas News. First story of the day, Colin, comes to us from the Wichita Eagle. The headline is, Wichita City Council Candidates Debate What to Do About the Persistent Stench of South Wichita. I mean, that begs the question, what are you going to do about the stench of North Wichita? I don't know. There's uh, there's just a lot of stench all the way around. Uh, Kansas has stunk since inception. I don't know why they're suddenly concerned about it now or how they're going to fix it. No, in fact, if they can find a politician who can do something about the stench of Wichita, they've got themselves, I mean, presidential material, if you ask me. Yeah. He can yeah, like move said, mountains. It, it, uh, it supersedes party lines. You know what I mean? Yeah. Democrat or Republican. If you can get rid of the fucking stink of Kansas, I'm voting for you. You got a chance. Yeah, mm-hmm. you got a chance. It's not often that the city council candidates will admit that their district stinks, but city council member Jared Corello and challenger Mike Hosile agree with the questioner at a forum last week that their southeast Wichita district stinks bad and a lot from two treatment plants that process nine-tenths of the city's sewage. You're absolutely right. If you're going outside on a humid day, especially in South Wichita, we all know the odor. There's a game that's played on the South Broadway corridor called Guess That Smell, Hoseisel said. It's not simply just the sewage plant. There are also things about stagnant water. And just recently, there's a terrible odor throughout South Wichita, which was a jet fuel spill from McConnell Air Force Base. Corello appointed earlier this year to replace a scandal-plagued former councilman, of course, also agreed that South Wichita is frequently unpleasantly aromatic and that needs to change if the area is ever to catch up with the rest of the city. What are they going to do? It's a sewage treatment plant. Sorry, guys, they stink. And unless you can move them, which they're not going to do, get ready for it to stink. No politician is going to be able to solve that problem. No, especially when they estimate it'll take $335 million in state and federal loans to rebuild the plants for more odor control. It's not looking good. No, I mean, and that begs the question, what are you going to do with the stink of the rest of the state? (laughs) Yeah, you get get Wichita to stink less. What a about every other place in the state. And they're just going to de-stink South Wichita. The rest of the town still smells like fucking dirty ass. Topeka, Kansas will pay remote workers $10,000 if they'll just simply buy a home there. No thanks. <laughs> Turns out those crazy infomercials with the question mark covered guy claiming that you can make lots of money from home and get government support while doing it were right. You just have to move to a small town in Kansas. New data Not sh- worth it. <laughs> New data shows a record number of programs have popped up offering remote workers heaps of cash to move from their urban digs to small Kansas towns. One will even throw free martial arts classes in. Of course, that's a, such a Kansas thing. We can't afford to pay you, but we can get you a blue belt in karate. So if you like uh, small towns in the wasteland of America that smell like shit and lunatic school boards, then move to Kansas. If paying them cold, hard cash, five-figure sums of money to move, why would you move there? We just read an article about how the whole place just smells like rotten sewage. And uh, I don't think 10000 is enough to make me uproot my life and move to a sewage st- 
stench fucking hellhole. It's not worth it. How long do you have to live there, I wonder? I mean, there's got to be some sort of catch there because, you know, we, anybody could who lives in an apartment and working at a fairly flexible jobs remote could just move there for, you know, any amount of time, cash a $10,000 check, and they just move right back to literally any other place because all places are better. Oh, I, I'm sure they won't let you leave once you arrive. They're going to chain you down to this stinking house that they put you in. It's covered in mold and asbestos. Mm. And all their drapes are made of uh, prey dog pelts. So <laughs> the carpet, for that matter. That's true. And the bath towels. It's their only resource. It's their only natural resource. Kansas firefighters race to a fire. Find burning fire truck. <laughs> <laughs> That might be the most Kansas thing I've ever heard. (laughs) A fire in southwest Kansas Thursday may have taken first responders by surprise. The thing that was on fire was a fire truck. Talk about the tail wagging the dog here. Good Lord. Dispatchers sent Grant County Fire and Rescue and EMS to a vehicle fire on the south route r road the exact address wasn't given so stevens county fire and rescue were also paged to respond when they found the vehicle they saw that it was a fire truck that was going up in flames and the fire had spread into a field this is the opposite of what a fire truck is meant to do not spread fires but put out fires (laughs) and kansas fire trucks actually spread fires yeah that sounds right it took the crews about two hours to get the fire under control, and the fire truck has been retired from service. Appears to be a total loss. No shit. Your fire yeah. <laughs> truck's on fire. Yeah, typically, when a vehicle catches on fire, uh, it's not salvageable. It does beg the question on, like, where were the firemen here? Like, who put, who set this truck on fire? Why weren't firemen already there to extinguish it with, I don't know, the tanks full of water that are in the truck that's on fire now? None of it makes sense. Like, how did they, they didn't know where the truck was. They didn't know it was a fire truck till they got there. Like, wouldn't well, their fellow I mean, firemen probably, tell them? They probably hired a particularly dull-witted uh, new firefighter, and he just said, they said, hey, that's the fire truck. He's like, well, it's called a fire truck, so should it be on fire? <laughs> yeah, let's just throw a Molotov cocktail into it. <laughs> yeah. That or, or just a couple of Kansas teens just made off with it because they left the keys in it or something. You know, that's yeah. that's just as likely in Kansas. Yep, that's true. Uh, Colin, that is uh, sadly our last story of the day. Kansas had a bye week this week, so uh, as did a lot of the Big 12 conference. So uh, they didn't lose. They didn't lose. Yep. <laughs> And that's like a win for Kansas. Oh, know, yeah. Just to not lose. Every bye week's a win for Kansas. That's right. Well, Colin, we're coming in on the close of the show here, and we always give out some awards when we do that. And I think let's go to the uh, Kirk Farmer's Hair Player of the Game Award. Now it's time for Kirk Farmer's Hair Player of the Game. Who do you think deserves the Golden Locks this week? Well, I mean, it's it's forever Beatty. Yeah, I mean, like it's just forever, Beatty. It's going to be forever, Beatty, and he's the best player on our football team, and it's not close. No, and he was the reason we won the game against North Texas. I mean, we we needed Tyler Beatty, and the thing that's kind of a little discouraging for me is that I'm I'm not seeing Elijah Young or any of the other running backs sort of pick up the pace and and sort of be the obvious number two to fill in for Tyler yeah, Beatty. I was hoping that that uh, Cox kid, you know, would get some some snaps too because he seemed like a big powerful runner and i don't know that's or dawson downing even i mean as long as Beatty's healthy i mean he's so hands down far and away the best player on our team like why wouldn't you get him the most snaps ever you know what i mean it's just as much as i want to see those guys part of me is like what how can you justify playing anybody but Beatty? really 
Yeah. One of the things I'm happiest for Beatty is that there are so many questions about whether he could handle the increased workload. And he's just shown that, uh, yeah, what are you talking about? It's a breeze. No problem. I can handle it. Easy. Yeah. Well, I always think that was overblown. I think. Yeah, uh, totally I, was. Well, I never bought it for a second. I think everybody's looking for a storyline in Beatty because he's a he's more of a what you call, a, I guess, a scat back or a, a, a speed back, you know, versus, you know, an inside thumper. But, you know, I never really had any real concerns about Beatty's durability. Unless somebody is proven to be injury prone, I don't know why you would assume because he's not brick shit house. Well, neither was Roundtree really. I mean, Roundtree was not a puny guy by any stretch, but he wasn't a you know he wasn't a giant either. You know what five? He's five ten. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, Beatty's answered every question that anybody's ever thrown at him, and he deserves the golden locks of the Kirk Farmer's Hair Player of the Game Award. What about Douche of the Week, Colin? Uh, it's obviously named after TJ Moe, who was once a great slot receiver for the University of Missouri Tigers and then became a huge fucking douchebag. <laughs> yeah, he sure did. But, um, I don't know. Let's think about this. I, You know, something that happened last week that sort of just did – the timing was just wrong for us to be able to get too involved with it was uh, Urban Meyer. Oh, that yeah. Was, uh, <laughs> that was pretty douchey. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. You know, rubbing, a, rubbing a girl stink star in your bar in Ohio when you're – you, your team just got worked, and your wife's at home bathing your grandkids. That seemed pretty douchey. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I, w- I wish we had had time to talk about Urban Meyer. And the fact that he had this look on his face, like I don't know what kind of drugs he'd been on, but uh, they were working. Just tonight, a real uh, contender has popped up, and uh, John Gruden. And, of course, homophobia and racism in and of themselves are bad, obviously. But this had a – some of his comments had a particular Mizzou connection Hold on a second, Colin. Back up a little bit because obviously we're talking about NFL head coach John Gruden, but this is coming out relatively yeah. new, so some of our listeners may not be super familiar with it, even though this is going to drop, I think, in the morning. What's going on with John Gruden? So he basically, like 10 years ago, sent emails that basically used some racially derogatory terms for the uh, head of the players' union. And mm-hmm. then upon further research that's just coming out tonight, they found more and more basically uh, racist and homophobic stuff that he has said over the past decade. And, uh, you know, bad look for a professional football coach with a locker room full of not only just African-American players, but he also is one of, has a homosexual player on his team now. You know what I mean? Like he's it seems like a kind of an untenable situation when you're 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 using that language and, and saying those things and then you have a, a large contingent of of the the minority group that you're denigrating. But anyway, the reason this seems a little bit far afield maybe for uh douche of the week for the Mazad cast necessarily, but let me pull it up here, Brennan. This is, has a decidedly Mizzou tilt to it. In emails Gruden called the league's commissioner Roger Goodell a quote faggot, I apologize for the language folks, and a clueless anti-football pussy, and said that Goodell should not have pressured Jeff Fisher, then the coach of the Rams, to draft queers, a reference to Michael Sam, a gay player chosen by the team in 2014. So, yeah. Well, it's disturbing partially, too, because when the whole Michael Sam thing was going on, we kind of knew that this was the prevailing attitude amongst NFL coaches when he wasn't even sniffed at at all, and, and it's just to hear it just or see that it was just actually verbatim exactly what we thought. You know, the worst types of fucking knuckle-dragging idiots were saying the worst kind of knuckle-dragging idiot things. And it's just like, well, fuck you, John Gruden. You deserve to get the boot. Well, and I mean, people will have their opinions about cancel culture here and there, what have you. 
But I, you know what's disturbing to me is like how many people I see online already on like on Twitter saying John Gruden, like, oh, geez, you know, what everybody's, what's all bent out of shape? I'm like, he drops the F-bomb. He calls the boss of the league an anti-football pussy and then, and then makes derogatory comments about Michael Sam. And this is in 2014. This isn't like he, this is like, well, John Gruden back in 1988 really said some out-of-line things. Colin, that's what I'm thinking about. Like, you can talk all you want about cancel culture. This, if this story had broken 20 years ago in 2001 and not 2021, he'd have gotten fired for it. This isn't cancel culture. This is, you do, you can't do this shit. You know what You're I mean? You couldn't do it then. You can't do it. Billion dollar business. You know, I mean, the Raiders are a billion plus dollars business. Every NFL team is. So you are the public face of a public company that is worth over a billion dollars. You can't do this. I don't care how good a coach you are. You can't do this. Not only does he have a man who's coached football his whole life and, and, and had to play, be around African-American football players his entire life to be using this language and in, in emails. And then to use this language, he's literally got African-American players and a homosexual player on his roster right now. Jeez Louise. And do we really feel like in, in six years that suddenly all of John Gruden's opinions have changed? I don't know. But it just... I don't know. Because of the Michael Sam tilt, you know, like I just thought, man, fuck you, man. Let Somebody needed to draft Michael Sam. He was a good football player. Fuck you, John Gruden. You're a douche. And maybe the douche of the week. Douche of the week. No, he, he deserves it. And he, uh, he came in under the wire. And I like to thank him at least for giving us a candidate for douche of the week. It was a strong candidate. He, uh, yeah, because how true, how mad are we truly at Urban Meyer? Yeah, no. Kind of, it was kind of a fun story, ultimately. Yeah, you know, I mean, if you if you if you dig into the uh, Twitter feed of his wife, you know, she's a full blown Karen. So it's like, ah, how bad do you feel for? Her? <laughs> well, and you see the girl that is rubbing up on Urban Meyer. You think, well, you, can you name a college football coach who wouldn't kind of just let a little grinding happen? But, you know, and maybe that 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 uh, rogue finger in the bum. Maybe it was a line too, a little bridge too far, but you know, you never know. Sure, yeah, no, he in fact that was coated in Vaseline before it happened. You know, it seems like it was sure. premeditated. Anyway, John Gruden. Uh, the other thing about him, Colin, is the fact that he's the kind of guy. Not all of these coaches have the sort of charisma for this, but he had a lot of uh, ad revenue. That guy was making a lot of money on the side just from sponsorship deals. And, you yeah, know, he, something tells me he's not going to. He's not going to go right back to uh, Monday Night Football. <laughs> no, no, I don't think the papa john commercials are coming his way either but uh, i don't know if papa john was still running the company (laughs) (laughs) just the guy for the job that's right that's right (laughs) so all right well we've done it we're uh we're what are we six weeks through this season five weeks through this season i guess we're uh we're getting there it's uh it's a big matchup for us i mean if if drinkwitz can somehow finagle some sort of magic and allow us to win this game over texas a&m it salves a lot of wounds but i just don't see how it can happen the bigger question is do we cover the spread mizzou is zero and six against the spread right now i don't have any reason to think that's going to change i don't expect this weekend to be any fun put it that way (laughs) yeah but we are going to learn a little bit more about what kind of grit this team has and i do expect that there's possible that we will improve i feel like all college teams do just some of the obvious problems the thing about being as bad as we are on defense like missing tackles and being in the wrong place blowing assignments some of that stuff is fixable you know what i mean like some of it isn't just well the guy's 50 pounds too light some of it is just 
learning how to do your job on the football field. So it's possible things can improve. This is a different guy talking than was tweeting on Saturday, but I'm hopeful that uh, we just don't embarrass ourselves for the remaining six games of this season. Bulls seem out of line right now, but who knows? Three wins would do that if we can scratch together a South Carolina Vanderbilt and where the last one is, I do not know, but uh, it's not out of the cards entirely mathematically. God knows I want them to win. Yeah. God knows I hope they improve, but uh, I have eyes. And uh, I don't, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Well, the thing, Optimism. <laughs> the thing that bothers me is going into next year, and that I feel like it is rare for teams to have huge swinging turnarounds in college at the college level in just one year. You know, when teams get better, it's incremental. And I mean, Arkansas is probably the exception to that. I guess this year they were so bad last year, and they uh, do look a lot better this year. But we'll see what their final record ends up looking like. It may not even be all that different, but they certainly look a lot better this year. I don't know. We, we're going to need that to happen next year for us. For us to really improve, we're going to have to get a lot better and very fast. So I don't think Steve Wilkes is part of that equation. I can't imagine not at this point. It's 11 o'clock start once again, Saturday. Mizzou takes on Texas A&M. We'll be here for it. M-I-Z. Z-O-U. Come, hobo, come. Good dog.